Welcome to the Learning Paths podcast from Harvard Medical School's HMX online learning team, featuring conversations with healthcare students, teachers, and professionals on their educational experiences and career journeys. I'm your host, Ben Rubenstein. Kate McDonald Dowling's interest in pharmacology has taken her around the world in classrooms and clinics from Ireland to Australia to the United States. She's currently a lecturer in biological chemistry and molecular pharmacology at Harvard Medical School, where she leads courses as part of the HMX online learning team. I spoke with Kate about her career path and the strategy she finds most effective for teaching in person and online, and what she learned from managing both at once as part of a unique course at the Harvard Extension School. Well, Kate, thank you so much for for joining me here today. You know, this is the Learning Paths podcast. So I'd love to start by talking to you a little bit about your own learning path, maybe starting from your undergrad study and thinking about how you progressed from there. Sure. Um, So it was a long path and maybe not the most straightforward either. Um, For my undergraduate degree, I did general science and ended up majoring in physiology and also had a minor in anatomy. Um, So I gained a lot of understanding of human biology and how the body works and learning about different diseases and disorders and how that affects the human body. Um, But we never really, I didn't have that understanding of how to treat diseases. And that's something I really wanted to learn. Um, So I decided to take some time out. I took a year out to think about what I wanted to do during the time I was traveling and I also gained some experience. So I moved to Australia and I was able to work at a clinic there where we were working with patients who um, suffered with addiction. And so we're treating those patients and I'm learning more about the disease and how addiction works um, and different ways to treat this, but I wasn't really understanding the science behind that. And so I really wanted to understand the science behind addiction, why some people are more susceptible to others, how it works, and then also the treatments for that and how they work as well. So I decided to come back to Ireland and do a master's in neuropharmacology. So we're learning a lot about diseases that affected the central nervous system and, and different ways we could treat those. And then for my research project, I actually focused on early life development and how that can be impacted by different experiences. So um, we focused on depression and uh, for mothers that are depressed and taking antidepressants as a treatment, how does that affect their unborn child and what are the consequences and long-term behavioral effects on their offspring? And then I generally wanted to stay in the field of neuropharmacology, but kind of move back into addiction. So I decided to do my PhD in neuropharmacology as well. Um, And this time I was focusing on early life neurodevelopment and how drugs or abuse can affect that as well. So um, a lot of women that suffer with addiction can become pregnant or are pregnant when they become addicted. And so looking at the consequences of those drugs on neurodevelopment um, was really the, the focus of my PhD as well. So um, from there on, I did a, I got a Fulbright scholarship and I was able to carry out research in the same kind of general field, neuropharmacology. I went to Tufts University here in Boston. Um, I was focusing on stress as well as drugs of abuse and the effects of those on early life development. So that kind of leads up to where I am today, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And so during <laughs> that entire path, did you always plan to go into teaching? as part of that? Was that kind of the end goal? Yeah, it was always for me. I, I loved the research. Um, I loved 
carrying out the research, getting the results and kind of, you know, presenting and all that as well. But at the same time, I was also teaching full time as well. So I was lucky enough to have the same uh, supervisor or PA for my master's and for my PhD project. And he was very passionate about teaching. So when I started my PhD with him, um, he gave me the opportunity to teach courses um, full time during my PhD. And so I actually ended up teaching a lot of the courses that I had taken as a student in my master's class. And so having done those courses as a student and then being in the position of being the teacher for those courses was really, really beneficial. I mean, you're looking back on different concepts that you've learned as a student and saying, I did not get that at the time, or I didn't think that was taught very well, or that's not how I, what I took away from that. So I was able to take on these courses from the start, step back, think about my experience as a student, and then, you know, take that um, experience and apply it then being an instructor or teacher as well and thinking about different ways that we could present the content and, and teach the class um, with that experience in mind. So from then I just knew that I loved teaching. I had a, a great mentor at the time who was very passionate about it and so from then on I knew that I wanted to do teaching. I thought I might do research alongside um, but um, I was thankful to have the opportunity to be teaching full-time and not doing the research. You, you talked about you know that experience of going from student to teacher. Are there particular strategies or ways of, of teaching some of these concepts that you've really sort of honed over your career that you find like, this is really effective um, and I wish I had had this when I was learning this? Yeah, I think when I look back at my own learning experience, I think a lot of it was lecture style. I mean, a lot of us learned like that, you know, large rooms with maybe hundreds of students and one lecturer having a PowerPoint slide that they're going through um, and really just presenting the content to you in one hour. Uh, we know now as instructors or as teachers that active learning is much more powerful and, and um, as well as more engaging for students as well. So that's something I took on very early on in my teaching career was thinking about how can we bring in active learning? How can we have the students actually you know, almost teaching themselves by doing activities and, and having those things in the classroom rather than just presenting for an hour and talking about the content. So active learning is something that I've tried to implement as much as possible um, throughout my teaching career. So I know you've had a lot of opportunities to apply active learning principles while teaching online through HMX. And I was wondering if you could talk about some of the sort of unique benefits and maybe some of the unique challenges of this format of teaching online? Sure. I think um, one of the main things that I learned very early on teaching um, online through HMX was that it's not just delivering the content to the students, which you might just do in a classroom through a lecture um, PowerPoint or something like that, but it's really thinking about the content and what is the best way to present that? What is the best way for the students to learn that? So we use lots of visuals. We do lots of different modalities, whether there's an animation, an interactive, a whiteboard video. There's loads of different ways that we can deliver that content to students. And, and I think that's the main benefit of online learning is really thinking what is the best way for students to learn this content and then what is the best way to deliver that so the learning is, you know, the best that it can be and the content is delivered in the best way that it can be. So I think that's a huge benefit of online learning. I think it goes without saying one of the, I wouldn't say disadvantages, but one of the limitations is obviously 
um, not being in front of the student and not having that contact. I think sometimes you might even see a student raising an eyebrow, you know, they're not getting something and then you can react to that and just check in with them. You can't do that in online learning, but of course we have ways of, um, you know, having the ability for students to be able to ask questions. We have discussion forums so they can ask content questions, they can talk to each other and, and so on. So we're really trying to still create that sense of community um, with within the students and also with um, the professors. Um, so I think that's one way that we, we can overcome that limitation, definitely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, many educators around the world right now are are needing to sort of figure out how they can maintain that connection with their students uh, as they're doing a lot more remotely. And, you know, I know that you have recently had the opportunity to sort of do a hybrid model of that where you are teaching students remotely and in person. Um, can you talk a little bit about the pharmacology course that you're teaching in this way and, and what exactly the setup uh, looks like for that? Sure. So it's a little bit complex. There's many layers to this. Um, it's an introduction to pharmacology course taught at Harvard Extension School. Um, and it's a flipped classroom in that we use the HMX pharmacology course, actually, um, that's taken in the student's own time at home. So they take this basically as their homework. And then we use the classroom sessions then to do active learning, where we go through problem sets together, case studies, and so on. So that's what we call a flipped classroom. But then on top of that, then we also have another layer where students can participate in the class in a number of different ways. So students can attend these live sessions in the classroom in person. They can also join these sessions through web conference, so using Zoom. Um, And then pre-pandemic, of course, this is all pre-pandemic, we didn't have in person um, this semester. Um, But we also have the ability to record these sessions and then offer these students on-demand access as well. So they can actually watch these after the fact um, if they're not able to attend the live session as well. So there's a number of ways they can participate, but then it's also flipped classroom. So lots Mm -hmm. of different levels um, to this. And yeah, absolutely. One of the the challenges that I faced early on was how do I make this class or course as engaging for the on-demand students or the remote students as for the ones that are in classroom. You don't want any student to be at a disadvantage based on how they're joining the class. And you want the experience to be as close as possible for the remote students as the ones in the classroom. So that's something I thought about very early on. We used different tools like on the videos we have a tool called opencast social which is a chat function so that when i pose a question in the classroom the students watching the on-demand recordings can actually input their answers into that chat function they can see the other students replies um, and they can talk to each other through that chat function so really creating that separate community or that group of students that can interact with each other almost live outside of the fact and make sure that they're still engaging and participating as if they would be if if they were in the the classroom as well. So I think another thing that's important to do as well is to talk to those students as if they're there. So you may be watching a video a week later and it's quite awkward to do, um, but I think it is important to talk directly to those students. So even if you have students in front of you or you have some in the web conference, I always talk to the camera and say, if you're watching the recordings, then you should be doing this right now and giving them instructions, but also making them feel like they are engaged or that we know that they are during the classroom as well. Um, so that's something I've, I've always adapted as well. From You know, I'm sure for this particular class, you know, you had a lot of support in using the technology maybe and understanding 
what to do when? And, you know, do you feel like this is something that any educator could do on their own? I mean, how how much kind of learning uh, was there involved from day one? I mean, did you do a lot of training outside of the particular topic area to really make this effective? Yeah, I mean, Harvey Extension School think about this an awful lot. So they offer lots of different trainings, whether it's just Zoom training um, and so on. I think now during the pandemic, everyone is using Zoom. And so a lot of these platforms that you might not have been familiar with before, now you're familiar with, Mm -hmm. right? So I think it does take a lot of getting used to teaching remotely. I think especially when you are teaching to a classroom, you might have agreements or disagreements and so on. But when you're teaching on Zoom, it's completely silent. Everyone is on mute, right? So you don't actually hear anything except your own voice. And so a lot of that skill is just getting used to it. But I think the actual technology side of things, it's very straightforward. I think anyone should be able to adapt it and to use these different technologies as well. And there's so many resources out there now to to be able to learn um, how to use these different things as well. And from the student perspective, I imagine you received some feedback from students who took the course with you. I mean, what what did students say about, and did it differ, I guess, between those who were coming in person and those who were remote uh, synchronously and asynchronously, um, what was the the feedback you got? Yeah, it is definitely mixed. I mean, it, no matter how much you try to make the experience as close as possible, they're going to be different. Mm-hmm. So um, even between the people that were in the classroom and the Zoom conference, what we found was when we went into these small groups to work together through problem sets or so on and so forth, maybe four or five people. The people in the classroom are kind of interacting more naturally. So they're having maybe some side conversations that aren't really happening in those Zoom breakout sessions. And so the timing of those were quite different and where we had people in the classroom not being finished at all and the people in the Zoom classroom waiting and being finished quite early because they're just kind of getting to the activity and then not really having any other side conversations. So being flexible and trying to manage the timing of those things took an awful lot of time at the start to try and optimize and make sure um, that no one was sitting still for for too long. Um, So that was just one example of things that we adapted over time and that were flexible on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that even outside of this kind of hybrid nature of the course, part of this is just kind of applying this flipped classroom approach where students are doing a lot of the actual learning sort of outside of of the class and bringing that knowledge to the classroom. You know, what are your feelings about that generally as an effective teaching method? Have you used it in other courses before? I had some experience with using it before, um, but not to this extent. I think um, I've often provided materials for students outside of a classroom that they had to prepare or read through Um, or go through before they came to the class. And then that was the basis of the class. But I've not had this situation before where all of the content is taught outside of the class and we're really just using the live sessions to do active learning and to go through problem sets and things together. Um, So I thought it was very beneficial. I think a lot of the time, I mean, we know active learning is very effective. Um, But a lot of time you're also trying to deliver all of the content to the students in your classroom session and then try and fit some active learning in. And active learning takes a lot of time. You know, you can't just fit five minutes in there and, and 10 minutes in there. You need to give the students the time to go through and, and you know, 
do it effectively as well. So I have two hours for my live classroom sessions, which is just solely focused on, on these activities as well. So I'm not under pressure to have to deliver any content. I just have my activities and we know what we're going to get through in the classroom. But also the HMX course is beautiful in my mind. I mean, it's everything I would want an online course to be. We spent a lot of time doing it. So I feel very confident in the content there as well. Um, so there's both of those things together, doing a flip classroom, but also having that HMX course the way it is. It means that the experience is much, much better. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that, you know, with the pandemic now, it, it's forcing a lot of people to kind of reevaluate everything and, and maybe even thinking about once we're past this, do things still look the same as as they were before, right? So how do you think, you know, the experiences that that you've had sort of are going to change your approach going forward? What what will you kind of keep? What will you maybe say that's only for that particular situation? You know, what do you think uh, is around the corner for you? Yeah, I mean, when you mentioned about being pandemic and have to teach in a different way, I think at the start, a lot of people were thinking about, how do I do the class I used to do in person over Zoom, right? And how do I make that work? Rather than stepping back and thinking about, okay, I'm teaching through Zoom. How should I teach, right? And that's a different question, I think. It's not trying to just deliver something I used to deliver in a certain way through Zoom. Um, it's delivering it in the best way possible. Um, so that's something I always think about is take a, a step back, think about the student perspective, um, how are they receiving this? How are they learning from this? And then designing my courses and my content around that and how to deliver it most effectively for how the students are participating in the course or re receiving the content, I think. So that's something I think I will always bring forward is putting myself in the student's shoes, thinking about how they're learning and their experience, and then taking the course from there. Great. Well, I think that's uh, that's great advice that is something that's sometimes hard to to think about in the moment, especially as you're scrambling to change an entire class uh, on the fly. Um, but hopefully as people are able to take those steps back and, and really think about what's going to be most effective, um, they can take that to heart. Well, I really appreciate uh, you uh, taking some time to, to speak with me today. And I think that our, our listeners will uh, appreciate that as well. Great. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Learning Paths, produced by the HMX Online Learning Team at Harvard Medical School. To hear more episodes, visit us at onlinelearning.hms.harvard.edu or subscribe in your favorite podcast app.